Hey, I'm so glad you've joined us for our online weekend experience. And down below, you'll see that there are notes and all kinds of information right below this video, so make sure you check that out. Also want to remind you, on our weekends, we have live services here at our Turlock campus as well as our Patterson campus meeting here temporarily, and our services are at 9 and 10.30. And I hope you'll come out and do more than just watch, but come and be a part of what God is doing here at New Life. Hey, I want you to grab your Bibles and I want you to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 16. Acts is about halfway in the New Testament, which is the latter half of the Bible. I want you to join, uh, join in with us today, Acts 16. We're gonna start at verse 16, uh, looking at a story. So today we're launching this brand new series for our summer called Questions. Now, we all know that there are all kinds of questions, right? I remember professors in college saying, now there's no such thing as a dumb question. And it didn't take too long in most of those classes to hear a few questions where I wanted to raise my hand and say, just to be clear, that was a dumb question because we've all heard <laughs> dumb questions. But here's the reality. You and I, we ask questions all day long and we hear questions all day long, things like, what should I wear? Or do you like this? Or do you need some bags for your groceries? Or what size would you like? Tall, grande, or venti? And I don't even know what those mean, but we could ask those at coffee shops. Maybe the questions uh, for your kids, like, what are you doing? I can't even tell you how many times that that has come out of my mouth. What, what are you doing? Or the question that I asked my boys when they were growing up, what were you thinking? And their classic answer, I don't know. And the truth is, they weren't thinking. But there are other questions that change our lives, right? Will you marry me? Man, that, that changes everything. Or I was reading a survey this week, and one of the questions was this. What are you pretending that you don't know? Let that one rattle around in your brain for a little bit. What are you pretending that you don't know? That's a question that will strip away all of the self-deception, all of the masks and things that, that we put up and we have to really take a hard look at ourselves. There are also those quiet moment questions when things get a little harder and a little deeper, like how will I make it through this? Or what should I do? Or God, where are you in all this that I'm facing? See, questions have a way of identifying the boundaries and the guardrails of my thinking and my actions and my faith. But in this series for the summer, rather than us just thinking of a bunch of questions and trying to put them out there, we're actually gonna go to the Bible and we're gonna look at actual questions that God asked people. And we're going to look at questions that people asked God. And we're going to look at the, what the Bible has to say about people asking questions of one another. And my hope and my prayer through this is that it would challenge us. It would reveal maybe areas in our life, maybe our own concerns, our own trust issues, maybe, maybe some of our own kind of questioning of God. It's going to reveal some of those things. And maybe in that we'll find healing as well. But today, we're going to look at an event that happened in the life of the Apostle Paul. 
So if you're there in Acts chapter 16, we're going to dive in. I'm not going to read a lot of this passage, but you can follow along as I, as I kind of share the event and share the story. Now, I also know that today is Father's Day, and I'm going to direct some of this teaching towards men today, towards dads today. But I don't want you to tune out if that's not you, because really this applies to every single one of us. But I'm going to make some applications directly to the guys out there. So if you're in Acts 16, here's the scenario. So the Apostle Paul and a guy named Silas, one of his companions that, that they did ministry together with, they were preaching in the town of Philippi. And while they were there, they kind of raised a lot of, of ruckus. Things happened, and some of the religious leaders got upset, which often happened. And they wound up in trouble with the city officials. And these city officials ordered Paul and Silas to be stripped, to be beaten, and to be thrown in jail. And the city officials told the jailer, I want you to guard Paul, and I want you to guard Silas, and I want you to guard them carefully. In other words, we don't want any more trouble. We don't want them to get out. We, we want them to kind of, kind of pay their price, so to speak. So the jailer puts them in the dungeon, and he placed them in stocks. So they are locked down tight. And late into the night, Paul and Silas, we read in Acts, were praying, and they were singing worship songs, now, imagine the scenario. They've been stripped, they've been beaten, they've been thrown in the jail. And here they are, they're, they're praising God and they're thanking God. And that can be so hard when we're in difficult situations. But they're doing all of this and then suddenly there's this earthquake and it shakes the foundations of the jail. And the Bible says that the doors of the jail in the midst of, of the you know, the earthquake and the things kind of rolling and tumbling, the doors were, were flung open and everyone's chains came loose. And the jailer, who, times were different back then, right? The jailer probably lived right next door to the jail. This wasn't a penitentiary way off somewhere. This was, this was the town jail. And so he probably lived right there. And he, he came in and he panics because he had one job to do, was to guard the prisoners and to make sure they don't escape. And now the doors are open, chains are loosed, and he knows that he hasn't done his job. Now, through no fault of his own, but they're all gonna escape. And so he knows that there, there's gonna be a rough payment, and it's probably gonna cost him his life. And not easily, but probably a slow, painful death because he is now going to have to pay the price for the prisoners who escape. So it says he takes out his sword and he's prepared to end his own life by his own hand. And it's at this moment that Paul calls out to him, says, hey, don't hurt yourself. Stop. Don't, don't follow through on this because he says, nobody's left. We're all here. Now, it's kind of a weird thing, right? Because if you were in jail and suddenly an earthquake comes and the doors spring open and your chains are gone, you'd probably think, thank you, God, for getting me out of jail and taking off. But, but they stayed there. And we don't really get the why of that or, or what was behind it, but maybe just something in them. Maybe it was God directing them, just stay put. There's something I want to do here. And we read that for the jailer, this was more than he can take. 
I'm sure he's been intrigued at this point when he heard Paul and Silas singing worship songs after being beaten and, and bound and chained. He was probably wondering what kind of crazy these guys were. And now they had a chance to escape and they didn't. And here's where everything begins to turn. He's looking at these guys. He's going, something's different about you. There's something that you have that I don't have. He looks at them and he realizes that they have something in their life, something in their joy, something in their experience that was lacking in his own. And so he asked them an important question. And it's our question for today. He looks at them and says, what must I do to be saved? Because there was something real and true and life-giving in them that was absent in his own life. Now, this word saved that he used is is critical here because this word saved literally means to, to rescue someone from great peril. It means to protect and to keep alive and to preserve life, to deliver and heal and to be made whole. It has all these nuances to it. Now, This jailer wasn't asking Paul and Silas to literally save him from the Roman superiors that were going to come and demand payback for the prisoners escaping. He was asking for something more. He was asking for something deeper and personal. He was talking about his own soul, his own deeper life. And he was saying, tell me what do I have to do? Tell me what I must do to have life like you. Where do I start and what's next? And in Acts 16, 31, if you're there in your Bible, Paul says this, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. He's going, what must I do to be saved? And he said, listen, it comes down to this, to put your faith and your belief in Jesus Christ. And before the night was through, the jailer and his family had all taken this step to make Jesus Christ the Lord and the, and the rescuer and, the, and the, the director, the leader of their lives. And they had committed to him, to follow him, and they all were baptized. And in all of its simplicity, do you know that that belief is really the step of rescue in life? To believe in Jesus. Now, it's not just to have an intellectual fact approval to say, yes, I believe there was a man named Jesus. I believe that he was in the, in the Middle East, you know, at, right at the turn of, of B.C. and A.D. It, it, this is not a fact-finding mission. This, this is not just a history lesson. This belief is I put my faith and my trust and my life in God's hands. And because of what Jesus did, I find forgiveness for my sin and I find hope for eternity in the one who gave everything for me. This belief that Paul talks about is my head and my heart and my soul and all of me in complete agreement that Jesus is the only answer and the only way to life. Here's how Jesus put it in John 14. He said, I am the way and the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus was saying that this belief, this this way to, to God is not through a book, it's not through a code, it's not through religion, it's not through any of those things. He said it's through a belief and a trust and a relationship with me. 
And that is the answer to the big question, what must I do to be saved? But I think there's more to this story. That's the big answer. I agree. But there's more. Because in this account of the jailer, I think, I think he's asking, yes, what must I do to be saved? But, but Paul, what do I do? If I take that step, how do I move forward? How do I live with authenticity and, and faith? How do I lead my family? How, how do I have like, life like, like you have? I think he was asking really a whole range of questions. What must I do? So we're going to take a couple minutes and we're going to look into the story a little bit more and see maybe the question behind the question to see where this jailer was, was really kind of wrestling with all these things. Isn't it funny? We don't even know his name. He was just the jailer. But here's some things I think we discover from the question. Write this down for number one. I must be honest about the condition of my soul. Honest about the condition of my soul. I believe there comes this moment when you look around and you realize that as much as you try and as hard as you work, you simply can't save yourself. And when you do that, it's really an honest inventory. It's an honest look at your own heart and your own soul. Now, maybe that sounds pretty logical and straightforward, but I'll tell you this, that, that honesty about the condition of my soul often comes when I'm struggling. It often comes when, when life is at a crossroads, just, just like that jailer. He's wondering, what do I do? How do I, how do I get through this? And when you're facing those things, that might be when you ask those questions as well. What do I do? For you, it might be a marriage or a relationship that's struggling. It might be a job that's just killing you. It might be finances that are spiraling you into debt. It may be that you find yourself on the other end succeeding beyond your wildest, wildest dreams. You may have the, the job and the house and the finances and the relationships. And you're thinking, man, I, I couldn't have asked for anything more. And yet... In the quiet moments, when it's just you, you feel empty and you feel lonely because you got it all and yet something's missing. I will tell you, this is the raw place where we can come clean. No playing around, no justifications, just, just honesty with the state of our heart and our soul. And in that, we may ask more questions like, what do I really believe about God? Where do I stand with God? And you may be jumping through the hoops and, and going to church, and that's great. And you may read the Bible, and that's fantastic. I encourage that. I'm going to even encourage it more at the end. Uh, you may serve, you may give, you may do, do all those things. But here's the question. Where do you stand with God? Is there love there? Do you trust him? Is there faith that's growing? Not just jumping through hoops, but where do you stand? 
Here's another question. Where do I need to come clean? Where do I just need to confess to get it all out? Maybe a question of who have I surrounded myself with? Who are the people that are influencing me? Maybe where have I put my hope and my trust? So guys, dads, I want to talk to you for a moment. I'll tell you, over the years, I have had so many guys tell me that their wife is the one that handles the faith and the religion in their family. Just like, she knows more, she's, she's more into God, she, she seems to have all that together, so, so I just let her run with that. And I would say, that's great. I'm so glad that your wife has a, has a faith that is growing, but where are you? Where's the partnership? Where, where's the, we do this together? I tell you, so many people send their kids and their teenagers to church because that's where they think kids are gonna learn good moral lessons. And you know what? They will. And they're gonna learn, if, if you come here, you're gonna, your kids are gonna learn about who Jesus is and, and who God is and, and his incredible love and grace for us. You're, you're gonna learn all kinds of things about that. But what do they see in you? There's that kind of old adage, more is caught than taught. So where do they see faith thriving in you? Where do they see God at work in you? Where do they see you pursuing him, reading his word and, and growing? I, is it there? Maybe that's the hard question that you have to ask today of where do I put my faith? Is it visible? Is it true? Here's what Moses wrote about these questions as we lead our families. He says, commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. You know what Moses is telling us? That our faith needs to seep into every place in our life. From sitting around the table, having a meal, to walking on the road or all make it contemporary for us, driving in the car and running errands and paying the bills and doing life. Where's God in that? When you go back and read Acts 16, you realize that the beginning of this transformation in the family of the jailer started with him in his own heart. And he asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? What must I do? begins with, where am I at? It's the beginning process of letting God lead and guide your life. So we do an inventory. We, we take this good, hard, honest look at our own soul. So here's the second thing. I must see value and worth in others. Now, when you go back and you read Acts 16, you see Paul and Silas were this jailer's responsibilities. And, and at first, this jailer did the very least he had to do in order to take care of them, right? They'd been stripped and beaten and tossed in the jungle, it, jungle, <laughs> in the dungeon. And he wasn't concerned that they were bruised and bloody. He was more concerned with his own well-being. And then during the night, this earthquake brings about this awakening in his own life. What must I do? What must I do? In Acts 16, the first part says, even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and he washed their wounds. Paul and Silas were still his prisoners. He couldn't just 
set them free and say, hey, it's no big deal. But you know what happened? There was something profound that took place in his own heart because he began to treat them with dignity and compassion and care. He washed their wounds. Now he could have done that when they were first thrown into his jail, but he was a different man then. Part of the what must I do leads us to how we treat one another how we care for the people, not just that we like and that we love and that are close to us, but the least of these. The ones that we don't even know what to do. How do we give honor and respect and dignity? How do we, how do we show compassion and kindness? How do, we, how do we bring worth and value to the people that we interact with? I'll tell you, I, I've personally watched my dad treat others with incredible respect who've been in difficult situations. And often it's been by their own choosing and by their own actions that have kind of got them to these places. But I've watched my dad speak and respond and give and serve and help. And he often will do it with like, like, it's not about him. It's not any glory to him. He doesn't want any, you know, you don't owe me. It's those things. He just does it graciously and sincerely. It's giving dignity and respect. I've watched my wife Gina do it over and over and over again to the least of these, to give love and care to to raise someone up, to encourage them and to speak life to them. I've watched her do it again and again. Jesus said this in Matthew 25. He was telling a story, it was a parable of, uh, of, this, of people who were, you know, separated and, and they were treated poorly. And, and he says this in verse 40, he says, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. He was saying, when, when you've treated someone with, with kindness and respect and, and dignity, Jesus was saying, it, you were doing it to me. That was an act of, of kindness and dignity to me. And then some had turned away and they said, you know, we don't want to do those things. You're not part of us and do that. And in verse 45, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. Every act, every response of dignity and grace and compassion is an act unto Jesus. What must I do? How I treat others is one of the steps that I take. Write this down for number three. I must practice kindness and generosity. So we know in, in the verse we, we read that the jailer cared for them and they washed their wounds. And in verse 34, it says, and then he brought them into his house and he set a meal before them. This jailer went above and beyond his call of duty by bringing prisoners into his home and caring for them, but, but more than that, feeding them. Now remember, they were living in a culture that, that didn't take meals lightly. Food wasn't always in abundance and they had to be protective of, of what they had. And sharing a meal was so much more than just about food. It was about fellowship. It was, it was about peer to peer. It was one-on-one. -on -one. It, was, it was kind of coming together and doing that. That's why some people, when you read in the Bible, they wouldn't eat with others if they were sinners. 
But this jailer in doing this act, he was making a point for his family to see that my new relationship with God, this rescue and saving that Christ has done in me, it makes a difference in how I respond to others. In 1 Peter 4, Peter writes this, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers over a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay, because God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them to serve one another. What must I do? Live with kindness and an open hand. Jesus would say, you've received, and now you get a a chance to give and to share. Jesus talked over and over again about us having and receiving everything, everything from him. And yet, for so many, they can lose their own souls in the process, right? I've gained everything, but I've missed it. Here's how Jesus put it. He said, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Can you imagine receiving all of that and yet missing, missing the opportunity, missing the chance, missing the invitation to give kindness? Jesus invites us into something more. The last is this. I must live in active obedience in active obedience. Go back to verse 33 in Acts 16. After he, they'd taken care of, of Paul and Silas, it says this, then he, the jailer, and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. This jailer showed his family that when it came to obeying Christ, he was gonna lead the way by his own example. Dads on this weekend, I wanna challenge you again. You can lead the way by your own example. Arm in arm, mom and dad, husband and wife, you get to set the example for your family. And when you look at this man in Acts, it stands to reason that if he was willing to be baptized in the middle of the night, he was also willing to be obedient in other areas of his life. And that's what the baptism was all about. It was the next step of obedience. It wasn't just praying a prayer. It wasn't just saying, I believe. It was saying, I'm all in. I'm going to show this world that I belong to Jesus. This past weekend, we had baptisms here in our live services. And you're going to see some of those baptisms come up on on YouTube shortly. But baptism is about us saying, I belong to him. And we heard some incredible stories. One guy was baptized or came to Christ in in a horse trailer. And he was up here to tell everyone... I don't care what those circumstances were, I'm following Jesus. People have come from all kinds of situations, all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of hurt and pain and decisions. But they said, I'm not just gonna stay back here. I'm gonna take the next right step. I'm gonna be baptized. So here's the question, what's the next step for you? Our mission here at New Life is loving people, and that includes loving yourself, one step closer to Jesus. And it starts today. The smallest movement towards Jesus. What's your small step? You know, probably in January, you know, back six months ago, we made some goals for the year, right? We call them goals because we hate calling them resolutions. And I'll bet every single one of us had something in there about getting healthier. 
maybe walking more, maybe eating better. We couldn't go back to the gym in January, but maybe it was some sit-ups or, or maybe as impressive as a, as a Peloton, but we wanted to lose those, those COVID-19 or those pandemic pounds, as I've heard them called. That's a great goal, it's a healthy goal. But now here we are in June, it's summertime. It's swimsuit time. And we probably all wished we would have lived in active obedience to those goals. That we would have just taken one more step rather than giving up. You see, at some point we have to put into place the daily practices that will lead us to health. Same thing for spiritual health. But it's not so that we can win favor or be the most religious person. It's so that we can become more and more like Jesus. Our relationship grows deeper and stronger. It's the little and the not so little daily practices we've been talking about over this the, the series we just finished. Inviting Jesus into your day, setting alarms on your phone to just pause and pray, taking a little bit of God's word every day, memorizing scripture. What would it look like for you to not just say, I believe, but to follow Jesus in faith and obedience? How would it affect your work, your school, your finances, your free time, your relationships? How, how would it answer, how would this step answer the question, what must I do? What must I do? Take that next step and follow Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this time. We can dive into your word and we can grow and learn and God, we want more of you. And Lord, this question, what must I do? It's the question we're all asking at times. What do I do? What do I do? And your step is to come, trust, follow. See how that changes your life. Begin to see others through, through the lens of me. Lord, you're doing all those things in us. So Lord, I pray that we would have the faith and the courage to take one more step closer to you. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I wanna thank you for joining us uh, as we're shifting a little bit of our online experience, but I am so glad that you're here. Hey, I want you to hang around just for a second as I finish up, and I have a couple more things that I wanna share with you. But thanks for being here. Be blessed and be a blessing.